but we bet you'll like them. I'm back in the saddle again. Checking in from the right side of Acadiana, seeking truth. I want the truth! Yes! Justice. Somebody ought to belt you in the mouth. Yes! And a whole lot of freedom to have fun. Winning, winning, winning. Yes! Oh, behave. This is the Rush Report. Louisiana lawmakers finished a special session on crime focused on tackling crime issues in the state. Several major bills that would reshape criminal uh -huh. justice are now waiting for the governor's signature. And we're pretty sure they're going to get the governor's signature if they haven't already. And uh, we're going to get a rundown from uh, our favorite uh, legislator, brand new legislator, already two sessions under his belt, two special sessions, and getting ready to head into a regular session. Hey, welcome to the Ross Report. Can't say parish councilman. Now it's uh, State Representative Josh Carlson. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me, Carol. Oh, you bet. Well, you know, I can think of a better person to have, get a rundown for the listeners. There were so many. It was such a flurry of bills, uh, all having to do with criminal justice, etc. Mm -hmm. um, let's go through some of the more important. Of course, the big one was uh, constitutional carry. That was one that everybody kept an eye on, right? That's right. I mean, you know, the legislature's tried it and passed it a number of times over the last few years and just kept getting uh, vetoed. And, uh, you know, it, that's, it finally made its, uh, its way through the legislature. And uh, I'm 100 percent sure the uh, governor is going to sign that one. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure as well. Now, there were some bills dealing with juvenile justice that were very uh, controversial, really. Um, can you give us a rundown of those, um, how those have changed how juvenile justice is administered in the state? Absolutely. So probably the biggest uh, change is that uh, those uh, juveniles who are 17 years old will now uh, automatically, in the past it was uh, left up to the discretion of the, the DA or the, the judge, and it was very rarely used, but anyone who's 17 will be uh, automatically brought through the um, the adult criminal justice system. That doesn't mean they're going to be housed uh, with uh, adults in prison or anything like that, but they are going to receive the same sentencing guidelines and mm -hmm. process that uh, an adult would. Mm -hmm. What about the bill by uh, Tony Bacala of Prairieville that, that minimizing minute entries in juvenile justice records? They're protecting uh, juvenile records? Yeah, so uh, what we found right now is, uh, or in the past, and uh, this bill kind of changes that, is that uh, especially with minors, because we, we want to protect their, their identity, right? And we don't, you know, if you make a mistake when you're 14 years old, we don't want that to completely destroy, uh, you know, your life or prevent you from getting a job or going to school in the future. But what we found is that these repeat offenders, because it was so hard to get juvenile records, 
they could commit a crime in one parish and then a few parishes over commit another crime. And it was very difficult, if not impossible, to get access to those records. And so you could have repeat offenders mm-hmm. that you didn't know about. So you thought it was just the first time and you go and you ask for, you know, 30 days probation mm-hmm. when this might be the fifth or sixth similar crime and you just didn't have access to those records. And uh, so that as well as uh, we found that uh, there were a lot of victims in their families that had trouble uh, following uh, the process, knowing where they were in the process to make sure that justice actually was served because those records were protected so much. And uh, they never knew the outcome of their case. They didn't know when trials were. They didn't know if there was a sentence. They didn't. Sometimes it was years later where they found out, oh, because they were a 17-year-old juvenile, um, not only did you miss the, the trial, but they were given 30 days probation and you weren't even notified or given the opportunity to go to court and uh, make your voice right. or your concerns and uh, heard. And right. so we addressed that. Oh, the other thing I think is that uh, you, when you protect the records that much, uh, you find that um, major crime organizations will use juveniles. That, that's as exactly fr- right. Yeah. We, we saw that a lot of gang-related activity right. would encourage minors to commit even some pretty violent crimes because they were only going to serve, a, you know, you could commit murder and spend a couple years in jail and that's mm-hmm. it. Right. Whereas and- if you were a year older and committed the same act, mm-hmm. then, you know, you could spend 25 to life in jail. And it wouldn't and so, go on your adult record. You know, so. oh, oh, exactly. And so we found that it, since the criminal justice reform went through uh, the state in the last few years, there's been a 40% uptick in 17-year-olds committing violent crimes. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think they looked and saw the, the, the result and knew how to game the system. And so we wanted to reverse that trend through some of the, the bills that we passed. Right. Now, I thought it was interesting that um, Heather Cloud's bill – that increased the penalty and changed the sentencing, uh, that Senate Bill 4. There were some Democrats, including our own Timmy Chasson, who voted for it. Uh, Ken Barras of Vashery, uh, Stephen Jackson of Shreveport, and Timmy Chasson all voted with Republicans in favor of her bill, Heather Cloud's bill. That's right. I mean, I think you saw uh, really some, some, I think, some common sense Democrats uh, jump on board because these were not... Uh, I know in the media sometimes it was played up to be very controversial, but uh, you know I, I, I really don't find that they, these bills were, and I think they were able to look at it and say no. I mean, uh, here's a perfect example. Um, we had we heard from a family where a lady was uh, uh, getting in her car. She was carjacked. Uh, she got entangled in the seatbelt. This was in New Orleans. Mm-hmm was dragged down the street for a couple yes. hundred yards, yes. oh. you know, arm removed from the body, ended up dying. <sighs> the gentleman said a carjacker, I, I, maybe I shouldn't say gentleman, the person who carjacked her had been arrested 25 other times. <sighs> and for di- one reason or another, you know, it was minimum sentence, 30 days probation, uh, you know, we'll sentence you to a year, but you only serve two months. And time after time after time, there was no penalty or no real penalty until this tragedy happened. It never should have gotten to that point. And that's really the, the heart of what we're trying to address. We wanted to give people the opportunity to um, uh, you know, improve their lives and better themselves. But the, if, if you commit a crime, there is going to be time served. You're not going to just get off without any, uh, without any result mm-hmm. or any punishment. 
and uh, we wanted to make it substantial enough where you would pause a second before committing that crime because you know that it, it is uh, it's not if you're punished, but uh, it, it's a certainty. Well, there in there's a there are some anomalies on some of the other bills, including uh, Senate Bill One by Miguez, and I want to talk to you about that. But we do have to take a break, and we'll be right back with Representative State Representative Josh Carlson. But as we go into the break, I have to tell you about the ultimate crawfish boil, and you're going to be eligible for the ultimate crawfish boil if you are the fifth caller. Fifth caller, caller number five two three three seven seven zero six zero one one three seven zero six zero one one three. Remember what this is. This is a two hundred and fifty dollar. That's why we call it the ultimate crawfish boil. It comes from us here at News Talk ninety eight point five FM and our good friends over at Prejeans. So together we're getting together with the fruit stand in Bro Bridge. And they have everything you need for the ultimate crawfish boil. I promise you. Three three seven seven zero six zero one one three. You call in and be caller number five. You're going to qualify for the ultimate crawfish boil. All right, we'll be right back with State Representative Josh Carlson. Don't go away. State Representative Josh Carson on the line going over some of the more prominent bills. The, the anomaly that I saw was on um, Senate Bill 1, of course, the uh, concealed constitutional carry by Senator Blake Miguez. And it was interesting because there were a number of Democrat representatives who voted for it. Daryl Adams of Jackson, Chad Brown of Plaquemine, Wilford Carter, Lake Charles. I called him, I said Troy Carter. It was Wilford Carter of Lake Charles. Uh, Travis Johnson of Adelia, Dustin Miller of Opelousas, all voted for Senate Bill 1, all Democrats. But there were a few Republicans who voted against it. Barbara Freeberg of Baton Rouge, Stephanie Hilferty, New Orleans, Joe Stagney of Kenner. That that had to be a surprise for some of you, huh? Uh, I, I was not. Uh, I was honestly. I was not uh, expecting some of those votes. I mean, uh, I knew it would be uh, you know overwhelming support. But uh, when when some of those Democrats voted for it, I thought, okay, I, I did not see that coming. And so, look, I, I it shocked me, and yet it didn't because they all the ones that voted for it, all the Democrats that voted for it, referenced crime in their district. Yeah, and yeah. they knew that it, it, you know it's fundamentally unfair. To say, well, you can open carry, but as soon as you put on a jacket, now you're a felon. Or that criminal that might come to your home, to your car, they're going to have a weapon, but you can't legally carry one. Uh, you know, I think they, they were able to look and say, you know, that's just, I think, fundamentally wrong. And so they decided to vote for the bill. That's pretty good. Another one that got bipartisan uh, support was the one about fentanyl, House Bill 8, by Laurie Schlegel of Metairie. Uh, enhancing the penalties for distributing drugs containing fentanyl. This is a scourge across this country right now, and mostly enhanced by our open borders. That's Sam. exactly right. And and this bill specifically targeted those people who are marketing fentanyl to children. So instead of uh, uh, you know making it look like a uh, you know a superhero character as a pill or vibrant colors, this is something that the yeah. Department of Justice has issued a warning about. Uh, fentanyl that's specifically marketed to or attracted 
uh, trying to attract kids. And so we uh, implemented some harsher penalties for people uh, that were attempting to do that. Yeah, that was that was a huge vote in the Senate. Um, yeah. 37 nothing. I mean, that's that's pretty good, you know. Especially, yeah, I mean, that's unheard of, as you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, but you see, I mean, really, this is a heinous kind of thing to do. You know, put it in the shape of, uh, you know, Skittles or uh, the that's shape right. of animals, color, colorful pills. This this is a this is a deliberate attempt to kill off a whole generation, I think. No, yeah. I agreed. And, I mean, there were some reports uh, around um, uh uh, Halloween, where kids were trick or treating, little kids got candy that they thought was again something you know colorful, Skittles, mm-hmm. something like that, and it it was uh, actually fentanyl and ended up dying from it. And so that's really what uh, prompted and motivated that bill. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, there's no coming back from that. It, this stuff is deadly. It's really deadly. Yeah. All right, there was another bill, um, the uh, rape charge bill by uh, Beth Mizell. Th- this was an interesting one. Um, the prosecutors can bring charges against a suspect if the photo or video evidence of the crime surfaces, no matter how long ago it was. So there's no statute of limitations on this? That's right. That's right. So there was a statute of limitations for um, rape charges, and um, DNA evidence was listed as an exemption to that. So if there was DNA evidence that Ah, ever surfaced, ah. Well, so they just extended that to include if there was ever video or photographic evidence that, that surfaced, that the statute of limitations was, you know, kind of went out the window and they could bring charges at any point if there's, because we look at, you know, DNA evidence or uh, um, other, um, sorry, there's uh, other um, you know, video or photography yeah. as you yeah. know, pretty substantial evidence. Ooh, and some of these people, these creeps do like to record their their crimes it's just that's exactly awful. right it's, it's crazy Ugh. okay there was another one uh oh this one i think it got also got overwhelming approval uh more difficult for anyone convicted of killing a police officer or first responder to earn good time i like that's that. right no I, I like that one i again a lot of these bills were very much uh common sense and um what we saw was not just with that bill but a few others is that we kind of re uh, revamped the whole sentencing guidelines uh, for for some of uh, for a lot of crimes in that people were uh, really I, I would categorize it as truth in sentencing bills because if you ask a judge or a DA prior to these bills they would most of the time tell you they would go after the the the, the maximum sentence because they really didn't know how long that criminal was going to spend in jail. Right. And we had convoluted methods of calculating how much time and how much good time, and it was time and a half, and how much time was already served plus good behavior before it was served. And we had cases where somebody was sentenced to, say, two years in jail, and with time already served and good behavior and all these other things that we factored in, they had served more time than what their actual sentence was. Oh, my and gosh. We had to re- and we had to refund them money. We had to pay those people money. Oh, my gosh. And so gosh. what we did is we said you're, you can earn good behavior, but not while you're awaiting trial. So while you're awaiting trial, that, that counts as time served mm-hmm. or towards time served. Uh-huh. But you're, you're not going to earn good behavior, and then you have to serve – even with good behavior and rehabilitative methods, you have to serve 85% of your sentence. That's what the federal guidelines say. And that way, instead of just going and asking for 10-year prison sentence, not knowing really how much time you're going to spend, because you know, I think the average was that people were serving about 35% of their sentence. 
Wow. And yeah, so least... now, instead of asking for 10 years, knowing that you're going to serve three and a half, you're going to go in and ask for five years, knowing that, you know, you know, good behavior, you'll serve, you know, three and a half to four, and, uh, you know, and then you can get out. But maximum is five. And so I think it's going to just make it what, – what we saw, this is the biggest thing for me, is that the, the, how harsh the penalty was, all those things yeah. didn't have an impact on crime. What impacted crime the most was the certainty of a penalty. Ah, I like that. And so right now, yes. you, you, you don't know. You, like that guy that carjacked a woman in, in New Orleans, he'd been arrested 25 other times, and there was never a penalty. And same thing with 17-year-olds. There was never a penalty. And so Just, now, with this bill being signed, you can be certain that there will be a, a penalty, and you're going to serve. 85% of that, that uh, sentence. I like and this so because it does... Is what should bring down crime. Crime, exactly. Because, hey, if you keep letting them out on the street and they the same criminals keep committing the same crimes because they keep getting out. I mean, it's a it's a revolving door. And, and does this take some of the discretion away from some of these far-left uh, DAs and Soros-funded like Jason Williams in New Orleans? I mean, does this take away some of that discretion? In some cases, yes. I mean, we don't want to remove all uh, discretion, right, because every case is different. And sometimes you want them to be able to plead for, you know, either to a lesser charge or have a minimum sentence because you're they're going to in turn help you uh, you know, arrest and bring charges against the, the bigger criminal. Yeah. So we didn't okay. want to remove every tool, but we exactly what you said. We wanted to take the, the discretion out of some of these far left Soros funded DAs right. that were doing no charge. We're going to let you out, let you out, let you out 30 days in jail. Okay. We're going to let you out and say, okay, there are going to be minimum penalties and you don't have a say so in the matter. Well, two of the more controversial I want to get to. And then after the break, I want to come back if you have time and we want to go look at some of the bills that you have pre-filed and what you see coming up in the upcoming session. But two of the more controversial ones, one about the death penalty and the other one about the SB8, which gives more power back to the governor on the death penalty. I am for the death penalty when there's a certainty and we have uncontrovertible evidence and that kind of thing. And we don't delay it forever and ever. The the amount, the cost, that what gets me is the cost to the state to keep defending a death penalty mm-hmm. over and over again, sometimes for years. And you're, and it just goes on right. forever. Half of our Department of Corrections budget was spent housing and fighting the appeals of, I think, our 56 uh, death row inmates. It's insane. And, and, it it, uh, and it's just demoralizing. So d- what happened with that? So what we found is that with the death penalty, there were a, a few things. One, there were some drug manufacturers that were refusing to sell us the lethal injection drugs yeah, because we didn't protect the identities of those compounding pharmacists and where we were getting the drugs from. And so we would, they would have protesters boycotting out in front of their business and sending them threatening letters. And right. We wanted to protect the identity of those providers so we did that and then we also expanded um the methods of 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 the death penalty to include uh nitrogen hypoxia and uh and and the electric chair um not that those are the 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 first methods but if we can't get the lethal injection drugs which is why we have 56 people on death row right now in the state of louisiana is that we haven't been able to actually follow through with the execution of a prisoner 
for a, a, a more than a decade, then it gives us other options, which other states have mo- uh, recently begun to use. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, so it, it, they, it allowed us to fulfill our obligation in the state. Yeah, and there's still a problem, though, with the, the amount of time and money that we spend trying to finally get a death penalty um, execute, somebody, somebody executed who deserves it. I mean, that. And one more quick thing before we go to the break. Uh, the the consolidation of power in terms of public defenders in the governor's office, this is something we complain all the time. This governor, great. I don't have a problem with it going to this governor, but what about the next governor? And, and they have more power over choosing and running the office of public defenders. W- what was the rationale for that? Um, so it, it really this is that there, it had it it become evident that there has been extreme mismanagement uh, of the public defender's office in the state, so much so that uh, last year there was, they had requested a million dollars for additional frontline public defenders. Mm-hmm. And here we are over a year later, and not one penny was spent on frontline public defenders. Wow. And that's just one example. And so what we see is... People uh, taking up local resources because we have to house them in jail and we have to cover the cost until they are actually tried and convicted and become a Department of Corrections prisoner. And so trials were going from six months to a year, and now it's two and three years later. Oh, my gosh. And because the public defender's office was not doing anything, and so it, it... it really it, it was a, a substantial change, but it was I feel like it was a, more accountability. A change. Yeah, we have to be able to yeah. streamline that office and really bring some accountability to that office. Yeah, okay, that's what I figured, but I, it just worries me because you know we like this governor and we have confidence in this governor, but what's going to happen in the future? You know. <sighs> No, it's definitely something to keep an eye on there. Yeah. yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break for the news. When we come back, Josh, I want to talk to you about what you see coming up in the regular session. You've filed a couple of interesting bills, and we want to talk to you about those. When we come back with State Representative Josh uh, Carlson. And by the way, I did talk to someone at the marshal's office, and she said even if we could tell you, we wouldn't. Uh, we're not going to tell you anything. We don't tell you any of our business because government doesn't tell us anything. You see, we got. I, I bet if I mm-hmm. went to the Daily Mail or the Guardian, I'd find out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> or or uh, Russian TV or uh, Al Jazeera, they might have it. Um, all right, we want to congratulate Angela Tears of Lafayette. Angela, you are now eligible for that ultimate crawfish boil. Congratulations and thanks for listening to the Ross Report and News Talk nine eight five. We'll be right back with Josh Carlson. Don't go away. Final segment with State Representative Josh Carlson, newly minted, but doing it like a pro. I tell you what, everybody's been very impressed with your performance over in the legislature. Josh, thanks so much for all you do. Well, thank you. Now, you have filed uh, some significant pieces of legislation. There is one that I saw, and it has to do with uh, the applicability of the crime of obscenity pertaining to public libraries. Talk about that one. Right. So, uh, you know, if you've been following the news over the last few years, it's really during COVID when parents were home and seeing what was going on in some of our schools and uh, and libraries, it came into question the content there. And there's been a number of board policies and state statutes that have come up that have tried to address it. But I haven't found really any consistent um, 
ways that those laws or policies have been applied, right? It leaves a lot of discretion. So right. like one parish in our state, if you have a complaint against the book, you have to fill out an eight-page complaint form and then submit it. And then there's really no accountability as to what happens to it. I've talked to people that have filed those reports and... They just seem to kind of disappear on on some administrator's <laughs> desk, or it, it leaves a lot of yeah. discretion open to the librarian to say, "Well, I don't think this violates, you know, uh, it, it is a problem." Well, so I started looking at it, and we already have laws in the state of Louisiana against obscenity, which is really displaying uh, graphic sexual content in a public way. Uh, and uh, what I found it interesting was that public libraries and ironically enough, school libraries were exempt from those laws. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know what, this is not about uh, censoring, blocking content, anything like that. But if we're going to spend public dollars on books and material, let's have it apply to public libraries. And to me, that was a very consistent way to say, you know, this is not health books. These are not um, books on uh, kids growing up or going through puberty Biology. or anything like that. Yeah, These there's are nothing explicit bio- <laughs> sexual content. Yeah, mm-hmm. is not going to be. Uh, it, we're not going to have that in the library. And then and just make it very simple. And that way, it's a one consistent standard across the board. And we don't have a wide range of of policies and state statutes that everybody's applying or interpreting differently. Right. Can they still come back, though, and say, uh, well, uh, you know, that's in the eye of the beholder. I can't tell you what it is, but I can. I know it when I see it, that kind of thing. The, the justice, Supreme Court justice, I think it was, uh, I can't remember who it was. Uh, it can. I think it does leave some some question for that, but at least it gives people an action a clearer. to take. Yeah. Okay. That's right. It's a little clearer versus... Uh, Carol, you have a problem. Fill out this eight-page report, and uh, we'll be back in touch with you, and then you never hear from anybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. All right, so it, it leaves out schools, churches, museums, medical clinics. It's, it is specific to public libraries, because that's where the battleground has been, it seems to me. That is where that's the battleground right. has been. Uh, for whatever reason, I don't know why, but at some point, the, the, uh, the, the you know, Public libraries have decided they can really change their focus from educating and promoting literacy to really indoctrinating kids and pushing sexualized content on kids, which is no business in the public, again, public library. Parents, do whatever you want, whatever you think is best for your kids. I might disagree with it, but we're talking about public libraries, what public dollars are being spent on. I I think this is, uh, you know, makes perfect sense. What other bills do you see coming up that might have, uh, you know, some relevance uh, for my listeners? And in terms of now, it's not a fiscal session. So that's, you know, all this talk about the income tax and all that. That's not going to happen this session. That's right. I think uh, you're going to see next year, which is a fiscal session, be the primary focus of the governor to look at tax reform um, and really restructuring and streamlining uh, the tax structure in the state. Yeah, uh, but so. for this uh, this session, I think you are going to see uh, a fo- two two focuses. I mean, look, you'll see a wide range of bills, right? But two main focuses. One is going to be insurance and uh, yeah. insurance reform, tort reform. Why right? we've got to lower insurance costs, and that's not just homeowners, though. That's kind of at the forefront of everyone's mind. Look, I was I was talking to a, a friend. They recently moved their family and business from Louisiana to North Carolina. They have roughly, they have the same cars, the same number of members in their family, roughly the same size house, probably a larger house in North Carolina. And they are saving $50,000 a year 
on homeowners insurance, medical insurance, car insurance, and their insurance for their business. That is Nothing ridiculous. Nothing changes about their living standard other than what state they're in, and they're saving $50,000 a year. That is substantial. That, that's incredible. That's right. And so we've got to be able to address that so that it does not become unaffordable to own a home, raise a family, and do business in the state. So I think you're going to see that. And then an, another push I think you're going to see is, is in the space of education. Uh, you know, if we can – our first priority was to make sure that our, our state was safe. And, look, that doesn't happen overnight, but I think we took, you know, really right. substantial Absolutely. and meaningful steps in that direction. Yeah. After we ensure the safety of people, if we don't have great quality education, it doesn't matter what kind of tax reform we do or insurance reform. People are not going to stay here. They're not going to move here because schools aren't adequate, and they're not going to move a business here or start a business here because they don't have the the properly trained workforce, Mm -hmm. and their kids are always going to be more uh, susceptible to crime, generational poverty, and we have to be able to address that. So it's one of those fundamental foundational things that if we don't get this right, you know, if we don't get the foundation right, the house that we're building isn't really going to stand. It's mm-hmm. not going to be great. Yeah. I think public safety was one of those foundational issues. I think education is another one. And so I think you're going to see a, a really big focus on education over the next session. I think Temple, Tim Temple has made some changes that he wants to make to make it uh, Louisiana more attractive for more insurance companies to come here and do business, which would, would that ain't, I mean, I understand loosening up the, some of the rules is going to be a controversial thing, but if we are more competitive, then I think that gives the people a better chance to get a lower cost for their insurance if there are more companies here competing for their business. Well, that is it, absolutely. And, you know, it's great as we are not, the, you know, we seem to be the only coastal state that is having with, uh, this insurance crisis. Georgia, South Carolina, Florida, Mississippi, Alabama, Texas, they, they aren't having that issue. And they look, they have other factors, right? Texas is a huge state and everything like that. But look at Florida. They have a, a, a great, a large population, but I mean, three fourths of the state is surrounded by water, mm-hmm. right? As a peninsula. And right. they don't have this insurance issue. So we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We can look at what some of these other states are doing and how they fairly treat the insurance companies mm-hmm. and really create a marketplace where the, ultimately the, the homeowners and the insured uh, benefit because they are, uh, you know, they, they have adequate protection. What about loser pays? I mean, I, you know, I think, think people would think twice before filing a frivolous lawsuit uh, that might go before a really sympathetic jury, you know, uh, $2 million for coffee, uh, whatever, uh, hot coffee <laughs> falling in your lap. Uh, right. Do you think that so, even I, has a chance, loser pays? I, I've, I've started, actually, I was looking at this over the last couple of weeks during the session, and, you know, I, I see on one hand the, the pros of a uh, loser pay system. I also see where it could, we could, it could be turned around and it invites fraud on the defense side because, you know, if, if, it's, a, if it's a case that I know mm-hmm. I'm going to win, yeah. I can run up the defense costs just as easily as I can run up the plaintiff's costs. And I, I've seen, so I think it invites yeah, but, but fraud you, on that side, whereas I yeah. I, I'm looking at some, um, yeah, I'm looking at some other ways of tackling that mm-hmm. without actually moving to a true loser pay system because you don't want to discourage people from, 
filing a tr- you know, a legitimate a, a claim. Lawsuit. Exactly. No, people who have a legitimate ca- claim, that's what the system is there for. But it's been so abused that, uh, you know, that no one has confidence in it. And, of course, we, ha- we can't get insurance companies to come here. And so it, it lessens the competitive uh, nature of the whole thing. Huh. Anyway, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, my husband worked on this for many years, and it's just it it's a really contentious issue. Uh, but it it's discouraging business investment in Louisiana. I believe that's why they call us a judicial hellhole. You know, it's not really not really good for us uh, in terms of attracting new businesses. Josh, I know I've taken a lot of your time today. We really appreciate you coming on and clarifying a few of these things. And we'll look for those insurance reform. I think is that was from from the folks that I talked to who were running, including you insurance was like the number one issue uh that a lot of new legislators and people running for re-election heard from the voters yeah no you're absolutely right it's one of the number one issues that we hear uh in our offices and we get emails about and uh, just out and about talking to people it's it's the cost of insurance and so we're going to do everything that we can to uh you know really address that and uh hopefully make it uh more affordable for people Josh, thank you so much. We appreciate you, all you do. Uh, State Representative Joshua Carlson, one of the shining stars over there, and we're just so delighted that he is representing us right here in Lafayette Parish. Thank you, Josh. You have a great weekend. Thank you for your time. You too. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. All right, we'll be right back on the Ross Report, wrapping it up for this week. We were always different, different in our ways. Together we knew happy hours in all happy ways. Zydeco, got Zydeco brunch coming up Sunday at Frejean's and out in Broussard. Oh, yeah, Frejean's. Oh, by the way, I know you have a Jacques Boudreaux pizza, but I didn't know you have a Jacques Boudreaux pasta. Tim. Well, that was that was a lunch special today, so oh. there you go. Well, surprise, what's wrong surprise. with me? I should have been there. <laughs> the Jacques Boudreaux pasta, tender shrimp, tasty crawfish, and succulent crab meat on top of bow tie pasta with the creamy Alfredo sauce and my favorite, served with two garlic knots. Whoa. Yeah, that, that was a bit much. We provide, probably could have got away with one. You could have gotten away with one because, oh, my Lord, those things are so rich and so good. I mean, I, didn't I tell you, eat both of them. Now, Tim, you know, <laughs> you, we don't talk much about your catering and that kind of thing, but you have a fantastic – I mean, you can cater anything from the regular menu, right? We can. You know, catering is something we're, we're starting to uh, – this year we're going to expand both concepts when we're meeting with some, some people uh, – so we can, yeah, we can do anything on either menu in larger portions. But look, Miss Carol, we can, we can cook. We've done weddings where we're cooking pizzas on site. Get How out. Oh, I'm man. I'm telling you, we can do it. Uh, oh, get out we, we can, we can uh, put a show on. If you want to impress, if you want to do a catering job and you really want to impress somebody, then Blanc is about I, to say I something. I can smoke whole alligators. I can cook whole pigs. Smoke I can, a whole I alligator. I rotisserie the whole leg of a bison for my Super Bowl party. Oh my gosh! Okay, Blah, what? What? Blah wants to say is this. Is, when you say you put on a show, is it like a hibachi where you're just throwing <laughs> things in the air, catching them in your pocket, kind of stuff? Pretty much. We put on like a show. That. I'm telling you, that's impressive. All right. So, uh, so now they have an artist doing live things at the wedding. So now we can have Dino's doing live stuff at the wedding. I love oh, it. Okay. 
I you know, absolutely getting, love it. You're getting fresh wedding food. So how about this? You know, I've been cooked four hours in a warm box. There you go. Oh, man, I love that. Yeah. I yeah. love that. Well, Tim, I tell you what, it's a revelation every day with you guys. It's something new. And that's why I tell people all the time, You just, it, it's like a box of chocolates. You never, only better. You never know what you're going to get because they're so creative. You guys are so creative. I mean, there's just no, no two ways about it. It's we, great. We do our best. We do our best. We all try right. not to get bored. So we just... We, we stay with it. So. God bless. We love you and have a great weekend. And we'll see you at Prejean's on Sunday and b- either in Caring Crow, I 49 North, or in Broussard and 20, uh, you know, almost 24 7 at Dino's. Right. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. There you go. Got it. Thank you, Tim. Have a great weekend. Uh, thank okay. you. you. All right. Bye bye. All right. So I'm going to continue with my little rundown. You know, that, that, that thing I was telling you about the election map that they have done and they go state by state. This is really, this is really interesting because I got, I got right to the Midwest, right? We did, we got to North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, um, Kansas, Oklahoma, Iowa. I got to get this all in in the next couple of minutes. Even Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania are in play. You're not going to believe this. You're not going to believe this. It looks like Trump is up eight in Wisconsin. Michigan up seven. Pennsylvania, Trump up three. This is unbelievable. Of course, it's solid across the Deep South. Louisiana up 15, Arkansas up 32, Mississippi up 18, uh, Alabama up 25, South Carolina 12, Tennessee 32, Georgia 8. He's winning in Georgia. Uh, North Carolina 13 and Florida 11. It is looking like a rout. For Donald Trump, we must pray and we must make sure. I mean, what what the guy say? This is the final wrap up. Let's expect listen. North Carolina, Georgia, and Florida to be close, but that simply isn't the case. In North Carolina, Donald Trump leads by 13% in the most recent poll. It's not even funny anymore. North Carolina solid, Nevada solid. This is a very favorable map for Donald Trump. In Georgia, we have Donald Trump ahead by 8%, a state that he lost in the last uh-huh. election. Just- so it's, it's, you know what? Uh, who, yeah, yeah, what, what was it that guy said? What was in it? the zone of winning. Uh-huh. I'm by winning. I went here and I went there. Now what? Let's just do it. Let's make this thing head on. <laughs> Let's make this thing head on. We're winning. In it to win it. So I wanted to give you the good news today, and that's the good news. And if Biden keeps screwing up as he is, well, it may even be worse of a route than we know. We must pray. Because if we don't do it this time, hmm. I pledge allegiance to the hmm. flag of the United States of America. There are a lot of things you can question about Donald Trump, but you will never question his love of this country. Never. You guys have a great weekend. Love you. Drive safely. Take care of each other. Go Cajuns. (laughs) Bye-bye. And to the republic for which it stands... One nation, under God, 
indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Constitution for the United States of America. America.